Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 57, The Nubian Invasion. Previously, on The Fan of History, Egypt was divided between many different rulers. Chaos ruled the land in this era of the Third Intermediary Period. All right, Dan. So, what is going on today? All right. You've seen in all our episodes that we are quite scared of talking about Egypt. It was fun uh, when Shoshenk was around and some of the 21st Dynasty pharaohs. But overall, Egypt has been a problem. And when you do a podcast about ancient history, people want to hear about Egypt. But we are in the twilight years of the history of Egypt. The new kingdom is gone. The third intermediate period is uh, somewhat boring. So we are happy to compensate you now with a full Egyptian episode. (laughs) And I think I have to state that Egyptian dating, I've said this before, but Egyptian dating is a lot more complicated than Assyrian dating. And some of the dates are contested, but I have sort of put dates here that I think are reasonable, and I might very well be wrong about them. But we will, in this episode, see the first step, the unification of Egypt again. And we've had such division in Egypt, but now another dynasty will take over, and it's the 25th, the Nubian dynasty, dynasty. can't ever decide <laughs> which way I'm going to pronounce Dynasty. Dynasty, right. okay. Okay, let's go with Dynasty for this episode at least. <laughs> and it's, of course, we, we argued earlier that the 25th Dynasty began earlier. But now it is ruled by Pie, the king of Kush, also called Pianku, also called Pai. I think I've called him Pai, but I'm going to go with Pie for this episode. 
the division of Egyptian history into uh, into these dynasties is a very late invention by the Greek historian Manetho. And uh, yeah, the Egyptians don't think this way. But of course, this is a great shift because the Nubians are going to take over Egypt. And that has not happened before to this extent. Uh, so at the start of this story, the influence of the Nubians is already very strong in Upper Egypt. That is Southern Egypt, because it's upper, because it's up the Nile River. Uh, the 23rd dynasty are already vassals of the 25th dynasty. This will be complicated, I promise you. Thebes in the south is the center of Nubian power in Egypt. Pia's influence and role in Egypt in 725 BC is uncertain. But uh, I'm convinced that it is quite large. And I am putting Pia in the period 747 to 716 BC. But there are things that... Uh, <laughs> That suggests some other dates, but uh, let, let's go with this. And we have to introduce some family members of the great Nubian pharaoh. We already talked about Pia's sister, Amenirdis. Amenirdis is in an important religious position in Thebes. Um, we have a son called Shibitku, and we have a son called Taharka, and we have a brother of Pia who is. Uh, Shabaku. Okay. Did you catch all that? Two sons, one brother, one sister. Yep. And Nubian secession is strange. Because the throne goes to your brother when you die. Except when it doesn't. And then it goes back to the oldest brother's son. Huh. But right now, Shabaku is the crown prince. If there is such a thing. But this is unlike the Egyptians then. And perhaps they still... No, they don't stick to Egyptian succession rules. They have their own. But before we see Pia run all over Egypt, we have to try to discern how many pharaohs we have, how many rulers are in Egypt. There is still Dynasty 22, 23, and 24. They're still around. This is incredible. And the most famous pharaoh in Egypt, who will not play a huge part in this story, is, of course, Osorkon IV. Mm -hmm. Osorkon IV is famous because he appears in Assyrian history, and he appears in uh, the Old Testament. He is the legitimate pharaoh of the 22nd dynasty. He should be ruling all of Egypt. He is the rightful heir of Shoshenk, the great. But the legacy of Shoshenk has diminished. Uh, Osorkon IV has been around since 730. When some other pharaoh of the 22nd dynasty died, it could have been Shoshenk V or Pedibas II. It's unclear who ruled the 22nd dynasty before Osokon IV. He is in Tanis in the far north, in the northeast, the traditional power base of the Libyan 22nd dynasty. And we see Osokon IV in the other sources. When you go outside of Egypt, he acts as if he controls all of Egypt. He's like, there's nothing going on in Egypt. I'm the pharaoh. Talk to me. Don't look behind me. Yeah, don't look over there. Those people, don't even worry about them. Don't even worry and, about them. Yeah, we'll notice that uh, Osorkon IV's pharaonic armies are not very powerful. And that's probably the reason that he only controls um, the delta or parts of the delta. Uh, there is a famous... Uh, 
reference to a pharaoh called So, S-O. And everything points to the fact that this pharaoh is Osokon IV. So I will replace So with Osokon IV. And here comes my favorite name. This name is incredible. Uh, can, can you try to pronounce it? I've been looking at it for quite a while. Let's see. It, it looks like someone had a stroke while right. trying to Exactly. It looks like just like key, keyboard. Someone dropped something on a keyboard. Let's see. Pef Jawawayabast. That's a good one. I think I'll say Petjabast. Petjabast, okay. But I'm sure that is wrong. He is the pharaoh of the 23rd dynasty. And the 23rd dynasty are still in Upper Egypt. They have submitted to the Nubians. They are treated with honor by the Nubians. And they get kingly funerals. And this guy is the last of the 23rd dynasty. But he has moved his power base north. Sort of trying to get away from the Nubians. He rules from Heracleopolis. And this city is known as Heracleopolis. But of course it isn't named that yet. Because that is the Greek name. Uh, the Egyptian name of the place is Hennesut or Henes. But we'll talk about it like Heracleopolis. It's far to the north on the Nile. It's, it's south of the delta, but uh, in the northern part of the Nile. Still counts as Upper Egypt. And then we have Tefnacht. Tefnacht, he has declared the 24th dynasty in size. This is even further north. But not in the delta. So south of the delta, north of Upper Egypt. Uh, it is possible that Tefnak declared his dynasty and declared himself as pharaoh in 732 BC. Sorry, I have to correct myself. Size is in the delta, but it's to the west. Ah, okay. Uh, and it's pretty close to Tanis. When you look at the map, it looks strange that Tanis has a pharaoh and Size has a pharaoh. But Tefnak will be an important person in this story. So here, there, there were three pharaohs. Also Khan IV, Petjabast, and Tefnacht. And then we have some kings. Oh, where did they come from? Good question. Yeah, say, <laughs> oh, let's throw in some kings for good measure? <laughs> yeah, so these guys don't even claim to be pharaoh. They claim to be kings. And it's unclear what this term is in uh, Egyptian. I, as you've seen during the third intermediate period, I have a very hard time understanding what's going on in Egypt. So if there is an Egyptologist or something that knows this, please explain it to me. But here's a powerful king of Egypt, um, Nimlot of Hermopolis. He might have been a son of Osakon III of the 23rd dynasty that struck out on his own. He might have originally been installed as the governor of Hermopolis. And that means that he's to the south of Petjabast. So the Nile, Egypt is kind of like a line because of the Nile. So he is uh, south of Petrobast and north of uh, Pia. In 749 BC, he managed to marry a queen. Uh, I don't know where she, he found her, but maybe she was descendant of some other pharaoh. And then he proclaimed himself king. He has declared that he is a vassal of Pia, just like Petrobast. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't act like one. And then we have another king. <laughs> Are you confused yet? If you're not taking notes, I don't know how you can keep up. <laughs> we will we'll try to be clear here, but it's hard. This mm-hmm. guy is Euput II of Leontopolis. He 
can he could have declared as early as 754 BC to be the king. So he's been the king for 30 years of Leontopolis. And this just shows how, what the sorry state Egypt is in, that this guy can say that I am the king of this city. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! And uh, it's pretty close to Sai Santanis. So he is right next to two pharaohs. But um, And we think that all of these guys are Libyans. Because the 22nd dynasty of Libyans, the Libyans have ruled Egypt for 200 years. So this is probably just another Libyan war chief with a sense uh, <laughs> of grandeur. <laughs> so we have in the Delta, Osirkon IV of the 22nd dynasty, Tefnacht of the 24th dynasty in size, and Iuput II of uh, Leontopolis. And in the south we have Petrebast of the 23rd dynasty in Heracleopolis. We have Nimloth the king in Hermopolis. And then we have Pia ruling the 25th dynasty from Thebes. But he is actually ruling from Kush, from Nubia. So his sister is keeping and his people are ruling Thebes. But he is not actually in Thebes. Of course, ruling Nubia turns out that it also takes some work. <laughs> So perhaps we have six pharaohs here, and they are probably all Libyans, except for one. Uh, maybe. We have to take a closer look at Tefnacht. Tefnacht will be important in the story. All of them will be important. When we had uh, pharaoh, when the pharaoh was Shoshenk V of Tanis of the 22nd dynasty, uh, Tefnacht was the great chief of the West and the prince of size. And the great chief of the West is a Libyan title. But uh, some sources claim that this guy is actually a priest of Amun. And that comes from a long line of priests of Amun. And that he is in fact a native Egyptian that sort of infiltrated the Libyan power structure. And of course the Libyans arrived in Egypt 400 years ago as slaves in the New Kingdom. And it's, it's probably pretty hard at this point to tell who is really a Libyan. We have the Libyans depicted as different in the, the pictographs, but maybe um, they are not that different. So this guy could have snuck in and like, well, of course I'm a Libyan. <laughs> so he is the only native Egyptian in our story, if that if he is indeed a native Egyptian. And he has a son, Bakenranef, who is commanding his army. But there is no doubt who is the strongest of all these pity kings, and it's it's Pia, but he is uh, somewhat dis detached from the politics there, being in Nubia, uh, with his sister in Thebes, and this influence, the, the Nubian control of Thebes is proving to be quite good for Thebes. So the Nubian influence is spreading uh, by itself, and unless something is done, all of Egypt would probably have fallen under the sway of the Nubians eventually. We have a great source for the events here of this decade because Pia erects a stele in Gebel Barkal, in the great southern shrine of Amun in Nubia, built originally by the New Kingdom, but restored and enlarged by Pia. Okay, so we have year 21 of Pia's rule in the first month of the first season. Under the majesty of the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, this is how the stele begins. And he's already claiming to be the king of Lower Egypt then. Meyamon Pianki, that's just another name for Pia, living forever. And uh, you can read on here from the stele. One came 
to say to his majesty, a chief of the West, the great prince of Natir, Tefnakti, he has seized the whole West from the backlands of Ititoe, coming southward with the numerous army, while the two lands are united behind him. So this whole story begins with Tefnacht trying to seize all of Egypt. The Prince of Sais, the 24th dynasty from the Delta, has successfully convinced the minor lords and the two kings of the Delta, Osorkon IV and Iput II, to march with him to cast the Nubians out of Egypt. Out with the Nubians. And of course this is super distracting for Osorkon IV because he is the one who has the border to other countries of importance, he is the one who has some influence over the Levant. He is the one who knows about the Assyrians. <laughs> and uh, you can see that Osokon IV never really commits in either direction. He's trying to juggle international politics, trying to pretend to be in control of all of Egypt, and trying to fight this war in Egypt against the Nubians. <laughs> but the northern towns quickly fall, and Tefnak captures the former capital of Memphis. And Memphis is one of the most important cities of Egypt at this point. And the northern army marches south and comes to Heracleopolis, ruled by then our friend Petubast, or Petyaoeaibast, yeah. the 23rd dynasty. And Tefnak marches up to Heracleopolis and tells Petubast that join us, brother, and throw out the Nubians. And being of the 23rd dynasty, the rulers of all of Upper Egypt originally, Petrobas seems to have a lot to gain by this. But Petrobas declares for the Nubians again, he declares his undying loyalty to Pia and sends for help. So he writes a letter to Pia. Behold, Tefnakti besieges Heracleopolis. He has completely invested in vested it, not letting comers out come out, and not letting goers in go in, fighting every day. And Pia reacts to this call for help, and this is what the stele says. Then his majesty heard the message, with courageous heart, laughing joyous of heart, these princes and commanders of the army who were in their cities. Sent to his majesty daily, saying, Wilt thou be silent, even to forgetting the Southland, while Tefnakti advances his conquest and finds none to repeal his arm? So the loyalists to the Nubians won't help. Uh, we also have some information about the acts of Nimlot in this. Um, Nimlot is not involved yet because he's south of the besieged city. And then he takes this chance. There is a northern army besieging a Nubian-controlled city, and then the Nubians are to the south. And this is what Nimlot does. Nimlot, prince of Hatwert. He has overthrown the wall of Nephros. He has demolished his own city for fear of him who might take it from him in order to besiege another city. Behold, he goes to follow at his heels, having cast off allegiance to his majesty. He tarries with him, like one of his vassals, in the knob of 
and gives to him gifts as much as he desires of everything he has found. I have not been able to understand what that means. So Nimlot demolishes his own city, goes out and besieges another city, and uh, tells the Nubians to go to hell and give somebody gifts. Like, what? Yeah, there's, so, a lot, there's a lot of weird going on right there. Yeah, so Nimlot is doing something strange, and he's like in between the armies. But Pia knows what to do, so he gives the orders. <laughs> Here's Pia. Or his scribes, at least. His scribes, right. <laughs> then his majesty sent to the princes and commanders of the army who were in Egypt, the commander Purim, and the commander the Mersineki. Wow. These names are going to kill me. <laughs> and every commander of his majesty who was in Egypt saying, Hasten into the battle line, engage in battle, surround, capture its people, its cattle, its ships upon the river. Let not the peasants go forth to the field. Let not the plowman plow. Beset the frontier of the Hare Nome. Fight against it daily. And they did so. This means that the uh, Nubian army enters Egypt and moves north, arriving in Thebes. And there, uh, I, I think Pia is not with the army here. Okay. Because there was a lot about commanders and princes, so somebody else is commanding the army. But when they arrive in Thebes, they have... Um, so on the stele, this is an order for the army what they should do when they arrive in Thebes. Uh, which is controlled by uh, Pia's sister. Hmm. When ye arrive at Thebes, before Karnak, ye shall enter into the water, ye shall bathe in the river, ye shall dress in fine linen, unstring the bow, loose the arrow. Let not the chief boast as a mighty man. There is no strength to the mighty without him. He maketh the weak-armed into the strong-armed so that multitudes flee from the feeble. And one alone taketh a thousand men. Sprinkle yourselves with the water of his altar. Sniff the ground before him. Say unto him, Give us the way that we might fight in the shadow of thy sword. As for the generation whom thou hast sent out, when, it attack, when its attack occurs, multitudes flee before it. And my interpretation of that is that when you arrive in Thebes, do a lot of religious stuff. Do the proper stuff. Be proper Egyptians. And I think that's what the army does. So when the southern army arrives in Thebes, they are sort of stalled by this, uh, these religious duties. So it's, it's a righteous war, pretty much. But it takes some time, and that means that Tefnacht has the time to act. And Tefnacht sends, um, he keeps up the siege of Heracleopolis, but he also sends an army south, further down the river, leaving poor Petrobaf besieged in his ancient city. And the southern army sails downstream up on the river. They find many ships coming upstream, bearing soldiers, sailors, and commanders. Every valiant man of the Northland, equipped with weapons of war, to fight against the army of the Nubians. And with this strengthened northern army, I think he leaves only a skeleton force besieging Petrobas in Hierarchopolis. And then the two armies meet 
And it's it's interesting to think about wars, civil wars in Egypt, because it's it's a line, as I said. It's like where are you going to go? You just have to you fight over control of the Nile, and then you have these cities that stop you. But now the two armies meet in uh, the Battle of the Nile, and we have PS battle report here from this first encounter between the northern and the southern army. <clears throat> Then there was made a great slaughter among them, whose number was unknown. Their troops and their ships were captured and brought as living captives to the place where his majesty was. So Pia wins a total victory here. And we see now very clearly, I think we already knew this, but the Nubians are much better fighters than the Egyptians. So even if these armies maybe were of equal size, it was a rout. And uh, the Nubians are fierce. They are probably bigger and stronger. And they are better fighters. And as we said many times on this show, Egypt has fallen behind. Even the Nubians don't have iron weapons at this point. But uh, the Egyptian fighting tactics are ancient and dated. And the Nubians know this. I think this is what makes Pia so, uh, so sure that he can win this war. But with his victory, he can proceed to Heracleopolis. And this is, of course, great news for Petrobast. He declared for the Nubians, and he kept the city for the Nubians until this huge southern army arrived. Uh, but before they get to Heracleopolis, they come into the domain of Nimlot. And he, we don't know really what Nimlot was doing, but he, he stops doing that. <laughs> he, he flees north, and he reaches Heracleopolis before the Nubian army. And um, But then um, we know that there, there is a huge... Uh, all of the people who survived from the north, they fled to Heracleopolis as well. And now we have, get a list of the princes and kings of the Northland that are now besieging Heracleopolis when the Nubians arrive. Are you still with me? Oh, I'm, I'm with you. So this is a list from Pia about all his enemies that have united in the north to take Heracleopolis. And these are King Nimlot, King Euput II, and here comes some other great lords of the north that we haven't <laughs> talked about. And they are probably Libyan warchiefs. Uh, the chief of the Meh, Sheshonk. Ooh, what a great name. Uh, he comes from Per Osiris. And then we have the Lord of Dead, the great chief of the Meh, Seamonefoneke of Perbenebe, together with his eldest son, who was commander of the army of Per Tutuprehui. We have the army of the hereditary prince, Beknefnef. We That was probably the crown prince of someone. <laughs> together with every chief wearing a feather who was in the Northland. And wearing a feather is the traditional Libyan commander thing. There was King Osorkon, who was in Perbastin in the district of Ranofer. There was every prince, the rulers of the walled towns of the west, of the east, and the islands in the midst. They were all united of one mind as followers of the great chief of the west, ruler of the walled towns of the northland, the prophet of Nate, the mistress of Sais, the priest of Patah, Tefnakte. And it's time for another showdown, because Pia is going to liberate Heracleopolis from these northerners. And here we have another battle report from Pierre. They went forth against them, 
Then they made a great slaughter among them, greater than anything. Their ships were captured upon the river. The remnant crossed over and landed in the west side before Perpeg. When the land brightened early in the morning, the army of his majesty crossed over against them. Army mingled with army, they slew multitude of people among them. Horses of unknown number, a rout ensued among the remnant. They fled to the Northland. From the blow, great and evil beyond everything. So we have another great victory for Pia. And the Nubians once again can't, can't be resisted. But they didn't get King Nimlot. He gave up his project, he fled to Heracleopolis, he declared for the northerners, but now he flees upstream, and um, he's told something. <laughs> oh, there's a city called Hermopolis. Hermopolis. Uh, and he gets there. <laughs> this is so confusing. Oh my gosh. All right, so he gets told uh, no, this. No, no, skip that one, I skip think. Skip that one, okay. I was like, yeah. wow. Nimrod does another um, under thing that we can't understand, but he's free. He's still around. He's still resisting the Nubian invasion by running away from it. <laughs> so, Pia won. And Pia, of course, uh, Pejubast is really happy. And uh, Pia now will uh, give a speech after this victory. Then His Majesty was enraged, threat like a panther, saying, Have they allowed a remnant of the army of the Northland to remain, allowing him that went forth of them to go forth to tell of his campaign, not causing their death in order to destroy the last of them? I swear, as Ray loves me, I will myself go northward that I may destroy that which he has done, that I may make him turn back from fighting forever. So him here, of course, is Tefnacht, who is the ruler of the north. This speech, of course, arrives by letter to Heracleopolis, <laughs> because P is not there, as you could hear in his threat, that I myself will go northward. Uh, so the army is stuck in Heracleopolis, they want to proceed to the north, but now Pia is upset that they didn't, that this victory wasn't final. So he decides to go himself and lead the final assault on the delta. Uh, but the southern army is like, oh no, the king is mad at us. We have to do something. So before he... Before Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Poor Pia himself arrives. They take some cities nearby. And they managed to kill a guy called Tefnakti. But he was just a Libyan war chief, so it was the wrong Tefnakti. <laughs> Who would have thought and, there was more than one Tefnakti? Yeah, and they send uh, they send this Tefnakti guy uh, to P and says, We killed Tefnakti. <laughs> P is like, It's the wrong guy, you idiots. <laughs> uh, and P comes into Egypt finally. The war has been, there's been two major battles and P hasn't shown up yet, but now he comes. But of course, he has to pass Thebes. And you can't pass Thebes without doing elaborate religious stuff. So he's stuck in Thebes with his sister for a while. And uh, But then he comes. And now, now it's clear what Nimlot were doing. He took another city to the north of Heraclopolis called Hermopolis. And then he was like, now I am now the king of this place. <laughs> but when Pia shows up, takes control of the southern army and proceeds northwards, the first place he comes to is Hermopolis. <laughs> where Nimlot has now declared himself the king. <laughs> so, back to the stele. Back to the stele. Then his majesty went forth to hate his soldiers, enraged at them like a panther, saying, Is the steadfastness of your fighting this slackness in my affairs? Has the year reached its end when the fear of me has been inspired in the Northland? A great and evil blow shall be smitten then. We'll notice then when Pia isn't happy with his army, he's enraged like a panther. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. charming. <laughs> so now he besieges Hermopolis, but apparently Nimlot is uh, quite a good strategist because he has managed to uh, fortify Hermopolis, or maybe it was fortified, but he took it. And now he can defend it for five months. So we have a siege of Hermopolis that goes on for five months. Tefnacht must be so pleased in the north that Nimlot is taking the fight for him. I don't think Nimlot really intended this. But uh, the Nubians, they know siege tactics. They probably just picked it up from the Egyptians who also know siege tactics. Not like the Assyrians, but they are better at it than a lot of other people. And we have a note that there is a, a tower raised higher than the walls so that uh, the... Um, Nubian archers can kill people inside the city with bow and arrow. And eventually this uh, doesn't work for Hermopolis, so the, it falls after five months of siege. And there's a really long part of the stele which we will skip, but I will tell you the, mm. the essence of it, that Nimlot realizes that his city will fall, and he decides that what he should do now is to prove to Pia that he is a friendly guy. So he sends messengers with gold. That doesn't work. He is like, I already have gold. <laughs> and then Nimlot sends his wives and his daughters to oh plead with P.S. women. Uh, that's an interesting strategy. Uh, that works a bit. P.S. women are like, oh, well, this guy seems very friendly. And then he sends even more gold. And that, of course, shouldn't work because 
Pia could just take the gold from right. Hermopolis. Uh, and eventually then he opens the gates and let Pia in. And Pia has of course captured all these women that Mimlot sent in, <laughs> sent out to plead. And these women are brought these these women are brought before Nimlot, but Nimlot looks away, which is unclear what that meant. Huh. And Nimlot is a super interesting character because he doesn't he isn't killed here. And P is really mad at him. But before we get the rant from Pia, we have to talk about the fact that Nimlot hates fish. He can't stand eating fish. This sounds like a strange fact, but right. fish is... <laughs> the line is filled with fish. <laughs> people eat fish a lot, but Nimlot feels that only poor people should eat fish. He wants to eat meat. And this will be a really good thing for Nimlot later on. But Pia is upset, and he is upset very randomly about the fact how Nimlot has treated his horses. That's what's upsetting to Pia. Uh, so here we have a rant from the stable again. <laughs> His Majesty proceeded to the stable of the horses and the quarters of the foals. When he saw that they had suffered hunger, he said, I swear as Ray loves me, and as my nostrils are rejuvenated with life, it is more grievous in my heart that my horses have suffered from hunger than any evil deed that thou hast done. In the prosecution of thy desire, it has borne witness to of thee to me, the fear of thy associates for thee. Didst thou know that the god's shadow is over me, and that my fortune never perishes because of him? Would that another had done it to me? I could not but condemn him on account of it. When I was fashioned in the womb, and created in the divine egg, the seed of the god was in me. By his ka, I do nothing without him. He it is who commands me to do it. Uh, so, we learned that Pia really loves horses. And of course the horses didn't get food because the city was besieged for five months. Right. But P is really mad about the treatment of the horses. And then he goes into this long... And he, he spends all this space on the stale just talking about how awesome he is and how bad Nimlot is for treating horses bad. And it's just <laughs> astounding that this made it onto the stale. And Nimlot is still around. He's not killed. And he's probably traveling with the southern army. And he has not left our story yet. At this point, Petrobus shows up. Uh, and given that the remains of the northern army fled north, uh, Petrobus, who was in Heracleopolis, so why does he show up here? So he should have been liberating Heracleopolis and then be with the army. But now he shows up, which is... I, I can't explain that. <laughs> but I included it here because... Petrobus ass-kissing is on another level. He was, <laughs> he was loyal to the Nubians all the time. And now he is, probably for the first time, in front of the Nubian pharaoh. And this is the way you should speak to a Nubian pharaoh. <laughs> Hail to thee, Horus, mighty king, bull 
subduer of bulls. The netherworld had seized me, and I was submerged in darkness, upon which the light has now shone. I found not a friend in the evil day who was steadfast in the day of battle. But thou, O mighty king, thou hast expelled the darkness from me. I will labor together with thy subjects. Heracleopolis shall pay taxes into thy treasury. Thou likeness of Herakti, chief of the imperishable stars. As he was, so art thou king. As he perishes not, so thou shalt not perish, O king of the upper and lower Egypt. Uh, Pianchi, living forever. And as I said, uh, Petrobas was already on the good side of Nubian will, and now P.A. is like, oh, no, this guy speaks the truth. <laughs> I am like the imperishable stars. I yeah. like that. I am great. How did he know? I am great. <laughs> so Petrobas doing good under Nubian rule. And, of course, he uh, has nothing to fear from the Nubians. So the southern army proceeds north, and the northern army tries to make another stand. It's amazing here that they don't yield to the Nubians, but Nubian influence has never come this far north. And according to Pia himself, every valiant man of the Northland stands before him, trying to uh, stop him. And P is like, why are you doing this? And this is the message of Pia to the northern army. Ye living in death, ye living in death, ye insignificant and miserable ones, ye living in death, if an hour passes without opening to me, behold, ye are of the number of the fallen, and that is painful to the king. Close not the gates of your life to be brought to the block this way, this day. Love not death, nor hate life before the whole land. So pretty much, if you don't stop this nonsense, I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> and this works on the city of Ilhun because it yields. And uh, the northerners are pretty much giving up at this point. So uh, when the city of Ilhun yields, some, some commanders of the north give up. Uh, one is the son of the chief of the Meh. That is Tefnakte's son. He yields. The army of Pia enters into Ilhun and doesn't slaughter anyone. He finds all the treasures in Ilhun and the treasures are taken and are made to divine offerings to Amon-Re, the Lord of Thebes, the sun god. Uh, but it doesn't seem like every brave man of the Northland is there because there's only one commander. And Pia continues north and he takes uh, Meratum and Itove. There are more epic speeches from Pia that we will skip over. But now he reaches Memphis, the ancient huge city of Memphis. And this is close to the delta. And this place is heavily defended by the northerners. So Pia decides that it's time for another epic speech to the defenders <laughs> of Memphis. Shut not up. Fight not. Thou abode of Shu. In the beginning, as for him that would go in, let him go in. As for him that would come out, let him come out, and let not that would leave be hindered. I would offer an oblation to Ptah, 
and to the gods dwelling in Memphis, I would sacrifice to Sokar in the mysterious place. I would behold him who is south of his wall, that I may sail north in peace. The people of Memphis shall be safe and sound. Not even a child shall weep. Look ye to Noms of the south. Not a single one has been slain therein, except the enemies who blasphemed against the god, who were dispatched as rebels. And Pius speaks the truth here. He has not slaughtered the people of the cities that uh, surrendered to him. So I think he has a great case here for Memphis to yield, but Memphis does not yield. Memphis stands firm. Memphis closes its walls and uh, even rally and send forth an army against the soldiers of Pia. Uh, and Tefnakti arrives at Memphis in the night. So he shows up and gives a, an epic speech to the people of Memphis too, trying <laughs> to make them uh, resist the southern army. So this is the speech of Tefnakti to the people of Memphis. It's Behold Memphis. Yes. Behold, Memphis is filled with troops of all the best Northland, with barley and spelt and all kinds of grains. The granaries are running over. With all weapons of war, it is fortified with a wall. A great battlement has been built, executed with skillful workmanship. The river flows around the east side, and no opportunity of attack is found there. Cattle yards are there, filled with oxen. The treasury is supplied with everything, go silver, gold, copper, clothing, incense, honey, oil. Well, I could see how oil would be useful in a siege, but silver, gold, copper, clothing, incense, and honey. <laughs> honey is food, that's good. But, yeah. yeah. I think the point here is that the city is ready for this siege. Right. Oh, they also used honey for wound care. Oh, okay. Uh, P is not happy. <laughs> and then he states that he will go and give something to the chiefs of the north, because apparently he's not around. <laughs> and the first epic speech was delivered by messenger, because he's probably in Heracleopolis. So he once again is not with the army, but now he shows up again. <laughs> and I think Pia should just stick with his army, because they are doing better when he's around. Yeah, no kidding. Let's see. And For... then the, oh. wait, uh, then the huge attack <laughs> begins against Memphis. And here is the order for the epic attack on Memphis. Here it comes. Forward against it. Mount the walls. Penetrate the houses over the river. If one of you gets through upon the wall, let him not halt before it, so that the hostile troops may not repulse you. And then Memphis is taken, and the Staley records it was taken as by a flood of water. A multitude of people were slain therein and brought as living captives to the place where his majesty was, which I hope is there and not in Heracleopolis. <laughs> and three lords of the north yield to Pia after this victory in Memphis. King Euput shows up, and the chief of the Me, Achenash, never heard of that guy, and the hereditary prince Pedisa. So all these pity kings and princes. But these three guys, they yield. And once we, once again, we get that they yield together with all the princes of the Northland. But we've seen like all of the Northland not being all of the Northland mm -hmm. in this record. It's like he defeats all of the Northland all the time, but there's still people left. But they arrive, they bear tribute, and Pierre records that they came to behold the beauty of him. 
<laughs> and uh, here in Memphis, we have a temple of Patah, where Pia does religious stuff. Uh, the army continues north and takes Heliopolis as well, peacefully. Uh, so the only resistant in, resistance in the north is by Osakon IV and Tefnacht himself. I don't think there is mercy in Pia for Tefnacht. He has been the instigator of this rebellion, and surely he must be punished. But uh, now Osorkon IV realizes, okay, I claim to be the pharaoh, have all these international things, but now the southern army is on my border, so I better yield. <laughs> so Pia records that King Osorkon came to see the beauty of me. And <laughs> um, Osorkon goes like, hey, I have these foreign projects I'm doing for you. I yield, you are the man. And uh, Pia just goes, Bonanza's here, and records that uh, all the kings and princes of the Northland, I thought there were only those two left, but here are a lot of other kings and princes of the Northland. All the kings and princes of the Northland, all the chiefs who wore the feather, every vizier, all the chiefs, every king's confidant from the west, from the east, and from the islands in the midst, came to see the beauty of his majesty. <laughs> and they all yield. And they say to Pia, you can read this part, what the northern princes say. Dismiss us to your cities, that we may open our treasuries, that we may choose as much as thy heart desires, that we may bring to the best of our stables the first of our horses. I think he ha they have picked up that uh, Pia really likes horses. So they are offering him, you can have anything, especially our horses. <laughs> And then we get another list of all the kings who has given up. Uh, I'm not going to go through this. Some people <laughs> show up again here, but it's a long list. But it, it, the like, point is that it, yeah, it, it includes everybody but Tefnacht, pretty much. And of course, there will be other people showing up, I'm sure. But here's a long list of people giving up. The only significant person missing is Tefnacht. So and then the stele continues many days. Many days after, this came one to say to his majesty, The army, his wall, for fear of thee, he has set fire to his treasury, and to the ships upon the river. He has garrisoned Messid with soldiers, and then his majesty caused his warriors to go see what had happened there among the force of the hereditary prince, Hadisi. One came to report to his majesty saying, We have slain every man whom we found there. His majesty gave it as reward to the hereditary prince, Padisi. Notice that Padisi, uh, he yielded earlier, and now he gets his own kingdom as a gift from Pia. But uh, they have slain every man. So <laughs> it's like not a very good kingdom to get. <laughs> say, yeah, who's going to work it? <laughs> But Tefnak knows that the Nubians are unfamiliar with the Nile Delta. The Nile Delta is a very different place to the rest of Egypt. It's wet, strange, you really need to know your boating skills to get around in the Delta. And so Tefnak's plan now is to hide you know, on an island in the Delta and just hope that the Nubian infrastructure breaks down in the Delta. But he sends a message to Pia. That is uh, interesting. So this is the message of Tefnacht to the Nubian pharaoh. Be thou appeased, 
I have not beheld thy face for shame. I cannot stand before thy flame. I tremble at thy might. Lo, thou art Nubti, presiding over the Southland. Montu, the bull of the mighty arm. So this is just two lines of uh, uh, saying that you won, Pia. But there's no tribute. There is no vassalage. So Tefnak just keeps hiding on that island. And Pia is like, oh, okay, I won. And then he has all the other princes of the north and all the princes of the south, everybody who is anything in Egypt comes to Pia to praise him. So instead of going into Delta and hunting for Tefnak, he decides to throw a party. <laughs> and here is the report from this incident from Pia. Then the ships were laden with silver, gold, copper, clothing, and everything in the Northland, every product of Syria, and all sweet woods of God's land. His majesty sailed upstream with glad heart. The shores of his either side were jubilating. West and east they seized the jubilating in the presence of his majesty, singing and jubilating as they said, O mighty, mighty ruler, Pianki, O mighty, mighty ruler, thou comest having gained the dominion of the Northland. Thou makest bulls into women. Happy the heart of the mother who bore thee and the man who begat thee. Those who are in the valley, give to her praise. The cow hath borne a bull. Thou art unto eternity. Thy might endureth, O ruler, beloved of Thebes. I think we should note two things here. First, he mentions wood and every product of Syria. Huh. So I think I think Osorkon is doing a number on him here. I think Osorkon has uh, stated his influence over Syria to be much bigger than it actually is. And to prove that he has bought a lot of Syrian wood. Because the, the forests of the Lebanon, <laughs> it's like Egyptians really love those forests. So I think he has bought some wood from the Phoenicians and then he gave it to Pia, saying that, oh, these are the tributes of the great north that I control for you. Please don't go there and ask anybody. Right. We so, also have this fantastic phrase, thou makest bulls into women. What? Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. It was weird reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty strange. But now... Now, Nimlot, he is still around here. He is one of these princes that now pay vassalage to Pia at this big victory party. And then we have a super strange incident because Pia also hates fish. Hmm. He doesn't want to eat fish. So now we have the famous fish eater incident. So read from When the Land Brightened. (laughs) When the Land Brightened. Very early in the morning, these two rulers of the south and two rulers of the north, with serpent crests, came to sniff the ground before the fame of his majesty. While, as for these kings and princes of the northland who came to behold the beauty of his majesty, their legs were as the legs of women. They entered not into the king's house, because they were unclean and eaters of fish which is an abomination for the palace. Lo, King Nimlot, he entered into the king's house because he was pure, he ate not fish. 
There stood three upon their feet, but only one entered the king's house. So because Nimlot was not a fish eater, and the Nubians apparently was so weird and strange and religiously taboo, so in the end, Nimlot is like the number one guy in Egypt, according to Pierre. After all the things Nimlot did, he just did these strange things for himself. He just ran before the southern army. He bribed Pierre. <laughs> and in the end, wow. he turns out to be the most honored prince of <laughs> Egypt. So Egypt is now unified, or at least so goes the story. But here Pia makes some disastrous decisions because he decides that, whoa, this place is horrible. I, I should get someone to rule Egypt for me so I can go back to Nubia. <laughs> uh, who, is, who is suited for this? Who has the experience to rule the cities of Egypt? Well, we have these princes that have already done so. So let's put everyone back. Everyone who's still alive gets their job back. Like, you should now rule these places as my vassals. Which was kind of what they formally did before this rebellion. This is, yeah, so... What happened here? So Pia is way too merciful, and Tefnacht, all he had to do was write these two lines of submission. And he survives as well. And Pia goes back to Nubia. <laughs> but... Still, this is the reunification of Egypt because other Nubian kings will pick up the torch from Pia. And the Egyptians and the Libyans, they now know what the Nubians can do. So if they revert back to their old ways, if they try to declare, like Tefnak did, that they are free from the Nubians, uh, this can happen again. But right now, nobody wants to compete with Pia. Pia has shown what he can do. So as long as Pia lives, Egypt will be unified under him. And we don't know how much they paid. If they paid taxes to him, they told him they would. And he took some gold and stuff. But uh, it's unclear how much the power of the 25th dynasty actually penetrates into the north after this. But it, it is a, a gigantic event in Egyptian history. That there was a successful invasion from the south that actually conquered all of Egypt. And that was why I wanted to spend the whole episode covering this. Because it is the end of an era and the beginning of a new era. We're still in the third intermediate period, but it's very it's going to be very different from now on. And the influence of the Nubians will be enormous compared to before this. So, did you... Uh, was it clear enough? Yeah. The overall action to me was very clear. The uh, keeping up with the number of dynasties, <laughs> that's hard. But once you see all the princes and all the minor kings that basically rule with anonymity in all the other major cities, you kind of get the overall sense that Egypt is totally fractured. There is. Yeah, it's so far from the the might of the new kingdom. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that, that's it for this Egyptian adventure. All right. Well, looks like in our next episode, we'll take a closer look at Osirkan the Fourth's foreign project, see what that was all about. 
uh, Shalmaneser the fifth king of Assyria will make it into the Old Testament. All right. If you enjoy what we do here, please consider supporting us. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Also go to YouTube, subscribe, like, and share. Uh, give us a review on iTunes. It really does help us out. Uh, let us know what you think. Also, facebook.com slash fanofhistory, thefanofhistory.wordpress.com. If you want to follow Dan, he's at Dan Horning on Twitter, and I'm at Cerulean Says Hi. So yeah, this time I want to plug uh, another podcast. I mentioned it before, but mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, this uh, podcast, sister podcast, Fan of Astronomy. Oh, yes. Where I cover astronomy together with Angelo Paolucci. And uh, we are now five episodes in as we record this. We're doing it bi-weekly. We are doing a walkthrough of the solar system. And uh, in episode five, we have an actual astrophysicist as a guest talking about the fact that there has recently been uh, statements from scientists that the universe is in fact not expanding, not accelerating in, in its expansion. So uh, that's pretty controversial. So we brought in an astrophysicist to review it and look at the evidence. That's fan of astronomy. Check it out on iTunes and on YouTube. It's amazing stuff. All right. For this week, I am Brennan. And I'm Dan. And this has been Fan of History. Oh, yes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.